0: Hello and welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, when a Monday pod is a Tuesday pod due to the bank holiday and due to maybe needing some extra time to digest a weird and wonderful weekend in the EFL. That's what we're here to talk about. The podcast is sponsored by Betfair and it's myself and it's my friend, George Ellick. Hello, friend. I don't know about you, but I, I honestly, I think we've had an unbelievable start to the season um, across all three. Well, me and you. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, as EFL lovers, I wrote the piece on the newsletter last week uh, about a tactical trend in the championship. A, a very sudden move away from three at the back formations, having had two or three years where they really did sort of take over. Correlation does not equal causation, but it it isn't escaping me that the last two or three seasons in the championship in particular have been noticeably low scoring below average in terms of goals per game and this season we're rocking 2.85 goals per game feels like every weekend there's at least two games that go somewhat goal crazy i'm loving it long may it continue
1: yeah i agree i mean definitely loads of goals i think obviously the the uh, increased amount of added time is is adding to that as well where every saturday now i kind of pack up um and go home. If I'm not a game at about 10 past five, then it's only seemingly on Sunday morning that I realise there have been out five other goals scored after the 100th minute <laughs> in games. Um, so that plays a part. It's also been quite a, a, a great season so far, just in terms of, of individuals. Like, I feel like we've had a lot of yeah. stories where normally you get one or two, but just players who have just come out and started the season in, in ridiculous form, posting mad numbers like you know the fact that we've got a swindon player topping the the league two goal scoring charts and swindon have already had a game postponed this season um is, is like says something about how you know many goals that that guy scored especially given that he's not even necessarily a striker but we'll get onto him later um but there seems to be loads of that around and um yeah with with a you know four or five left uh, days left of the window it feels like some big moves have started to happen and i'm sure there are going to be you know certainly some of the big spenders Know, looking at Leeds, looking at probably Southampton now, given the players who are going out the door there, um, I think we're going to see a, a busy couple of days as well in terms of players coming in, which is always exciting too, even though I know you hate transfers.
0: Well, I just get a bit overwhelmed in the last week of the window and on transfer deadline day itself. It's a lot of transfers to be thinking about across 72 teams uh, and and all the noise that goes alongside it, I find, uh, I find it a bit discombobulating, but I am excited about it. Yeah, Can I... I think-
1: just use this opportunity, and I'm sure I've said it probably every year. But my favourite transfer deadline story involving us was must have been what, four years ago, three years ago, mm. when we were asked by Sky Sports News to come in and and do like you know be, be wheeled in like every half an hour for about four hours of their deadline day coverage, which was incredibly fun. Um, but obviously the the day is so manic, and I think quite often a lot of rumours come up and and they're, they're for, for, you know normally the validity of a transfer rumour takes a couple of days to suss out whereas on, on deadline day it can be huge news for 10 minutes and then actually it's not true and you move on and i remember you and i standing ready to come onto the set having not heard anything about this And as we were going on the producer just said to us right we're also just going to ask you for to right about tom huddleston to Udinese." and we were like S- so- sorry yeah okay well, i don't know what i'm going to say about that i mean uh yeah it turned out Thankfully they didn't get to it, but I remember just going on panic, being like, well, What am I gonna say about this? Could have could have maybe been just a massive practical joke,
0: maybe a bit of yeah, sabotage just trying to freak to... us out going on. <laughs> yeah, I and don't look,
1: even know if of... one, you'd player, their side of play, their manager, <laughs> anything. Yeah, he'll be a great fit in Serie A because it's a bit slower.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that as well. Just go into autopilot mode. Like, yeah. well, yeah, I think slow pace of play will really suit a player like him. I mean, <laughs> look at how much Andrea Pirlo thrived in Serie A across his career, and and, right. and and to many, Tom Huddleston has always been the Premier League's Pirlo. Let's get into some football. Uh Ipswich three leads four. I reckon it's a good place to start if I'm if I'm trying to sell the championship as having been particularly entertaining this season. Uh, this probably the number one game of the weekend. I want to go just quickly from a Leeds perspective here. It's it's big for them. It's their first win of the season, and it's easy to get carried away about one game. And if I was getting carried away about one game, I'd be talking about a real feeling of of refreshment. Across a number of levels, both individually and collectively here for Leeds United, I'd be talking about redemption um, and uh, and and this sort of hopefully being the start of the season for Leeds. Uh, Joel Perot is a big part of this. Joel Perot signed uh, for Leeds from Swansea on. Friday, I believe, and scored instantly, tapping home uh, after Haladki had, had pushed a shot straight to him. So it was a, a gift, really, from the Ipswich goalkeeper. It means that Perot's is often running for Leeds. He scored the most goals in the championship over the last two seasons by anyone not named Alexander Mitrovic, who only had one season in which to do it and still <laughs> scored more than everyone else. I like the signing for Leeds. I think it's important, or at least I think it's worth knowing what sort of player you are getting. I, I'm not convinced that... Uh, You know, everyone that would look at Pirro's goal tally would instinctively get it right with him necessarily because over a few seasons at Swansea, uh, we've seen him playing in the sort of heavy goalscorer burden number nine role, like a, you know, needing to be that poacher type. And he hasn't looked highly comfortable. When he has looked really happy is when he's had someone playing in front of him, Obafemi in particular, even Cullen, when he came in at the end of last season, someone to occupy defenders with uh, running in behind, peeling out wide, maybe, and creating space for Piro, who, who is more comfortable with the ball at his feet rather than with the ball being played in front of him, who is more comfortable when he's got a little bit of space to get shots off and seems more comfortable uh, or just one of those guys who who prefers to take a shot from the edge of the box or the penalty spot rather than crashing into the six-yard box, you know, breaking his neck to get on the end of stuff. For me, seeing him go straight in and playing off a number nine in Jorginho Rutter, we're still getting to know Rutter, uh, but if he can do number nine things, i.e. stretching play, running in behind, then that's fantastic in order to create space for Pirot. And that's what's going to get the best out of Joel Pirot. So uh, a welcome to Joel Perrault. Uh And all of their front four scored. And all of the goals were significant because not only did Perot make a great debut, but Rutter himself scored a fantastic goal. Incredible uh, individual skill to sort of drag the ball through two defenders and then finish well. And as I said, we we haven't seen a ton of Rutter who signed in in January and who kind of unwittingly, I think, became an emblem or maybe even the emblem for Leeds United's relegation last season because at a time where everyone knew Leeds needed someone dependable to score goals because they were creating chances, they signed a player who hadn't played a huge amount of senior football for quite a lot of money and the managers didn't really fancy trying him out and therefore almost... Through no real fault of his own, he's become this this issue or had become this issue for Leeds. And the way people talked about him, I thought he couldn't play football. I genuinely thought he must be terrible. But this goal <laughs> suggests he is absolutely not that. So hopefully the, the sort of slate can be wiped clean here. And then we also had George Willie Nonto nipping in at the back post to score. Him having refused to play a couple of weeks ago, being welcomed back in the fold by Farker. If Farker can get this out of him and keep him and keep him happy... Well, that'll be a fantastic piece of man management and a highly important one. Luis Sinistiera, similar vibe, um, scampering in behind a nice through ball from Shackleton uh, for the fourth goal. Am I getting carried away about these words? Redemption, refreshing, change in energy?
1: Definitely not. I mean, I think there was a change in energy at Leeds long before the the, the, the whistle on Saturday where fans had gone from being um already doubting the new owners, wondering where the quality's gonna be in the side to suddenly believing that with Nonto back in the in the squad with Sinister back in, with hopefully both staying um and Perot in, already there you've got a front four if you're going to include Rutter. Um that is you know that was the reason why I was so keen to have them top of our one to twenty fours because, you know, these are players, these are the the profile of players that generally will absolutely flourish in the championship. You see it, see it every single season. There are, you know, still things that need sorting at Leeds. It, it, it's not as easy to think that now suddenly they're going to be the best team in the division, even if they have gone to Ipswich and beaten them 4-3. Like, you know, Byron came off injured after 25 minutes, um, after putting in a, a, a brilliant ball, uh, for the, for the, for the, um, Nonto goal at the back post. And, um, we also saw Drama come on a left back and, and make an error for the, um, for the broadhead goal, and he was then taken off at half-time, having been brought on, which is a bit of a blow for him, yeah. uh, although, albeit, you know, he is a right-back, not a left-back, so he's playing the wrong side, and Jamie Shackleton came on, he did well in the second half. So they need full-backs, they're been linked to Jed Spence, who would obviously be a, a really good option on the right-hand side, but I, I don't really see what the issue is with Luke Ayling, who's someone who is a, a massive part of Bielsa's brilliant lead side, he's already started the season well, you know, it seems to me fairly obvious that the left-back, is the issue here. I think Strauch and Rodon are absolutely fine as centre backs with, um, with Cooper to come back when he, when he returns from injury. And they also probably need a centre midfielder because even though Archie Gray is clearly incredibly talented, it, it's a hell of a lot to ask of a player who's 17 years old, who's never really played any first team football before to come in and, and, and play, you know, all the minutes, um, going forward. And I think for his development, they'll need another body in there. So I'm sure they will add a, a couple more. Nadia Mamiri was one who's been linked from Leverkusen who in typical Leeds... Kind of last week of deadline fashion was pictured on Leeds High Street yesterday, but now reports <laughs> in Germany are saying that he he was in Leeds yesterday, but now the, the the move is in doubt. It seems like they're basically getting ready to to spend some money, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. With 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 Ipswich here, now this is the, the interesting thing about this game in my mind is that yes, this is kind of as I tweeted, welcome to the party, Leeds United. Like you know they were they were attacking play. Was brilliant in the first half. They were very clinical, but I don't actually think that Ipswich lost a great deal in defeat here. Like, obviously, conceding four goals at home, having been so good is not ideal, but they still created a lot of chances in the game. Um, it, this wasn't the case where they were completely played off the park, even though it was just a, a 10, 15 minute spell where those four players you mentioned earlier just had way too much quality for Ipswich on the day, but they still created a fair, a fair amount themselves. Uh, Brandon Williams, um, had probably the worst. Thing that can happen to you two minutes into your debut for a new club where, uh, he came on after 73 minutes and Sinisterra just turned him, turned him inside out and made him fall over before slotted into the far corner, uh, two minutes later. Um, but you no, know, they were okay on the day. Like, I, I think for, for Ipswich has still been an incredible start to the season. And yes, their unbeaten run is over and it might be a bit of a dent to their confidence to concede four goals at home. But, um, I think, if this game had happened a week earlier, it may have been a different case. Like it was just a, a really bad time to play to play Leeds and, and they host Cardiff next weekend. That you, you you would think they should uh, come away unscathed from that one. So yeah, a, a brilliant game and a high quality end to end goal fest between two t- two sides who I anticipate will be right in the mix come the end of the season.
0: Uh, what about Huddersfield nil, uh, Norwich four? Because this is just still really really fun. Watching this Norwich City team, uh, I wouldn't think it was for the Huddersfield Town fans. George, uh, they went down 1 0 pretty early on. Josh Sargent charging down Lee Nichols, uh, the ball bouncing over Nichols and Sargent. Sargent getting there first, heading home, and then horribly, really kind of collapsing with uh, what's reported to be an, an ankle ligament injury. Looked in a horrible amount of pain uh, and came off having put Norwich. Give me flashbacks ahead. to my stag too. Yeah, yeah, it was quite similar to you, going down like you've been sniped. Um, (laughs) Adam Ida came on and he did make it 4-0 later on in the game. And it feels like his performances in front of goal may take on quite a lot of importance now if if Sargent is going to be out long term and and if Norwich don't look to sign someone in the next few days to replace it. And it's Ashley Barnes showing his immense value once again.
1: Yeah, I mean, with Barnes... Yes, I mean he's he's made a decent start to the season. I mean I, I it was a penalty. Clear, I'm
0: not talking about his penalty. Fine, you are talk talking about, about his immense, general play, his immense value. You referenced that nice bit of hold up play last week. I'm yes. referencing quite a few other instances of Barnes receiving the ball with players sprinting in behind and either finding them or bouncing it back to a midfielder who then plays the through ball. That is exactly what you need in this system, as it was for for Burnley last season. Even if he's not scoring
1: goals. For sure, I agree. And, and I think in that sense, um, Norwich are benefiting from having someone who, someone leading the line who isn't kind of pure goals, I guess, like Tammy Puki was where things weren't going well last season. Um, he was just completely isolated and wasn't really having the impact that was expected of him. I think in Barnes they have someone who, uh, fits in more, I guess, with, with what David Wagner's trying to do. And it's interesting because normally, you know, you you would look at a game of these stats and you would see that Norwich win four nil and it was nine shots to 18. And you'd be thinking like, this was a bit lucky. This is a bit fortunate maybe, but I, I don't think it was. I think Norwich basically under, under Wagner in the last few weeks um, developed a style of play where they are very, very good at creating good goal scoring opportunities. You know, they're not shot heavy necessarily. They, um, you know, all the opportunities that they created here were including the penalty, obviously were, were, Basically near range tap ins, sergeants over the top, um, was, was a, obviously a a defensive lapse, but, um, you know, he, he did well to get into the position that he did before getting injured. It was basically an open goal. Rose also a tap in from, from close range, either too. So if you are able to get the ball into feet around the six yard box into your, your front men, then that's a a pretty solid way to ensure you're going to win games of football. Um, you know, Huddersfield weren't, overly poor i think neil warner could feel aggrieved to have lost this game 4-0 uh, i think they showed as they have done in most games this season a bit of an app you know a, a, a certainly some kind of attacking threat and far more so than they showed last season in similar um at a similar time of the campaign they aren't really getting the rubber the green at the moment they are getting the results they picked up just one point from their four games which i actually think is incredibly harsh i think they've been far far better than that um but with the new owners in With what we've said about Warnock in the past, although maybe, you know, slinking their way into a relegation battle early on in the season is the best way to get Warnock's uh, juices flowing. But yeah, this is all about Norwich who have just started the season incredibly well. There aren't, you know, there, there are probably three or four teams where you look at Perception, pre-season and pre-season expectation, not just from us, but from the fan base. And you look at what's actually happened on the pitch and the results and the performances and Norwich have to be one of the biggest upgrades um, that there are, that there is. And then John Rowe, you know, for a guy, we talk about him every week because he scores every week, a guy who'd never scored a senior goal and he's now scored five and five. And what I love about it is they're all very, very different goals. Like this was a proper... You know he timed his run brilliantly, got in between the defenders, um, and it was just a, a, a close-range tap in But they're not always that easy to go into the end of those. So um, he's showing a range of qualities and is fast becoming one of the most exciting attacking players in, in the championship. Like it's, it's not going to continue. Um, you know, no chance. Like he, he's not going to score what uh, 46 goals a season? Sadly,
0: Messi um, scored 73 in 2011-12. 73 goals is the target
1: okay, he's not going to score 73 goals. um, Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, you know, it's been an incredible start to his his season and for Norwich as as a whole. So, yeah, right now, you know, because, and we'll get onto this in a second, there remain, for me, big doubts about some of the sides who have started the season very well in terms of, of their point tally. With Norwich, that isn't the case. Like, they are making their dominance in games count by big goal margin victories. And that, to me, is a much better sign of a good team rather than winning when playing poorly.
0: He's he's definitely better in the air than Messi, when you think about yes. it. Um, albeit Messi did score that nice hanging header in the Champions League final, which Ooh. is something that Rowe has yet to do, albeit I'm not saying it won't happen. He
1: has scored a header, hasn't
0: he? He scored two headers, but not in a Champions yeah, League yeah. final. hasn't had a chance to play in a Champions League final yet. George, can you tell me a little bit about West Brom for Middlesbrough 2? Pretty ridiculous game, really. Um, mm. Six goals. Uh, West Brom's four goals were from their four shots on target. Uh, some good finishing, in particular, from John Swift with a lovely solo goal. Burrows defending left quite a lot to be desired, I thought, for that 2-0 goal. The Kitbrey goal, which put them ahead, I love that goal. seemed... Fairly obvious push in the back before he was able yeah, to pull it. Yeah,
1: kind of. I I, can't, I I watched the back thinking that, and I don't know. It, it just feels like a bit of a nudge. It just feels like a okay. massive mismatch. I I don't think it was as as, as obvious as a case of like, like two palms on the back and a shove. Yeah, okay. I don't know. It's. Grey area. Like if it's given, I don't think you complain, but at the same time I'm not sure it's it's blatant. A nudgy mismatch. Okay.
0: Um last had a nice header from an excellent Silvera Cross. That was two of Burroughs' new boys mm. combining. Then another of Burra's new boys, Engel, the left back, had a bit of a shocker played a lovely through ball to Brandon Thomas Asante. Song. To score, uh, force made it three-two from the spot, but uh, Jeremy Sarmiento lashed it home uh, to to kind of settle things. His first senior goal uh, looks very fun and dribbly, playing off the left uh, on loan from Brighton. So we can probably expect him to be absolutely incredible. I mean, what's yeah? How do you parse this one? Because it's an, another West Brom game that was just a bit messier than I expected. Their second home win of the season after they beat um, Swansea three-two in a, in a similar messy game.
1: Uh, yeah, I think games like this are always going to take on a bit of a, a weird sheen when a team goes 2-0 up after half an hour, um, especially with their first two shots on target. Like two finishes are the highest quality from Keeper and Swift and there were magnets in that top left hand corner of the goal because uh, Swift's finish was, was kind of weird, almost as like he dug it out, but it, the, the trajectory of the ball and the way he struck it didn't really seem to, to tally in my mind. But um, against a side like Middlesbrough who normally Middlesbrough games under Michael Carrick have followed a very different um, you know, path in terms of the way the opposition play, where normally the opposition create loads of chances throughout the game, with Middlesbrough creating chances themselves. This was very much not the case with uh West Brom scoring from their four shots on target, scoring from two of their first three shots in the match. Um and you know, Lou Orns, who is um, you know, a a friend of the pod tweeted, and I'm going to paraphrase him because I don't have it in front of me. But you know, he kind of sums it up where right? he's like, with, with Middlesbrough last season, it was the case where they uh, were conceding lots of chances and creating lots of chances, but had loads of quality in the final third, and therefore they scored lots of goals. And now they have less quality in the final third, and therefore things aren't really going their way. And I think that kind of, in a very simple way, sums it up right now where. I don't think Middlesbrough's drop-off if you look at things like XG ratio is is vastly different to that incredible run under Carrick last season. But there's just so much quality that has gone and is yet to be replaced. So Latte Lath could feasibly be that player, um, you know, so could Silvera, but this is, you know, the infancy of their Middlesbrough careers, their infancy of their careers in English football, and it's pretty harsh to just anticipate that they're gonna come in and replace the purple patch um, or kind of career highlights spell of true replace someone who's just signed for 20 million pounds or just under uh, in Cameron Archer for Sheffield United. Like, I don't know if it's naivety or if it's just impossible to make the replacements necessary to, to do so. But it, yeah, right now it just feels fairly obvious that Borough are just lacking real star quality in the final third. And, and, and at the back under the current, they've consistently been, been pretty porous. So, um, for, you know, for Baggies, this is a big win. The um, red card made their task a fair bit easier. Um, a weird amount. I mean, I know the, the red card is probably the reason why, um, but I, I don't think I've ever seen a game of football in the Championship I've have as many passes as this one, where we had, I think, just under 1,100, which is absolutely crazy. Mm. Uh, with West Brom competing 637 passes themselves, but well, Tabarro's 457. Like that is wild. That's kind of. Real Madrid Barcelona numbers um from back yeah. in the day. Um so yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what, what Barra do now. Like what they've got four days to strengthen if they want to. I think if they don't, it would be pretty harsh to judge Michael Carrick on last season's exploits given that the, the, the squad just feels significantly weaker. Um and for, for Carlos Corbyn and West Brom it's a, a massive win and you know, without necessarily being the most convincing performance.
0: What if I told you that between Big Sed, Kipre, Shemi Ajay and Eric Peters, there were Around 270 of those passes. Just that a means, lot, a lot of the last. The last
1: thing I want to do is go back and watch the last half <laughs> of this game.
0: Tell me about Rotherham one, Leicester too. Leicester's 100% record is the only one now in the EFL. In keeping with all of their other games, it was uh, it was a fairly late winner that was necessary. Uh, it was fun that it came from Casey Mcatee, uh, who scored mm. both goals for them here and uh, and both nice takes as well, playing in that right wing role fascinating for me that he is contributing uh, to this team he started at two games now of their four he's had two league two loans McAteer for Forest Green and for Wimbledon and in neither of those league two spells did I see him being a player that would be impacting games in the championship but but here he is scoring two very important goals to to keep them on their way they're still a way off their final form I think we we can expect that but it's an interesting conversation is it like do we just expect them to keep getting a lot better
1: i definitely don't think you can just assume that a team is going to improve um like every single fan bar a couple where things might not be particularly good off the off the field will think you know we've only just got started we've got to wait for the players to gel and all this stuff but by the very nature of football and and you know a head-to-head (laughs) leak not all teams can kind of improve as the season goes on like we assume that with Enzo Maresca, there is a process here. Um, and if that is the case, and you know, as the players learn the process more, then, then we will see a, an improvement. But I, I, I've got to say, like watching Leicester, there doesn't seem to be an obvious kind of tactical process that the players are, are kind of coming up to speed to. Like it's not like you're watching a Russell Martin side. It's not like you're watching a Marcelo Bielsa side where clearly there is, um, has to be a shift in mentality or thought process or physical fitness um that we're yet to see uh yeah i'm kind of just a bit baffled by leicester right now not not, but by no means you know i'm not saying they that they're not going to keep this up but you have to have massive doubts that they absolutely are going to um they've won four games so far and all four games have been eerily similar you know, all of them were a one goal margin, three of them two, two, one wins. All four of them were winners scored after the kind of 82nd minute. Uh, and all four of them games where, you know, there isn't a single game in there where Leicester have totally battered the opposition. There isn't a single game in there where Leicester have totally shut out the opposition. So, you know, things might improve. I think we're going to learn a lot about them in the next three games. I mean, they host Hull on Saturday, which is one of those where, Leicester fans will rightly anticipate they should win the game but you know, I'll have certainly some decent attacking players now um, and might make life quite difficult and then it's the back-to-back trips to sides who started the season very well in Southampton and Norwich and that is where I think we'll see the real metal of this Leicester side but you know I'm, I'm still sitting here waiting to be blown away um, you know I would love to see the the, the odds comparison with Leicester to win the league now, I think, are kind of two to one compared to the league winners over the last four or five seasons. Because, um, I'm pretty sure they'll be, maybe not with Leeds, but they'll be um, shorter. Yeah, they are, they're currently two to one with the Betfair Sports, but like they'll be shorter than most. And, and right now, I just, I think they are very, very vulnerable at the top of the, the table. And unless their performance has improved, like they, they just are going to start dropping points pretty regularly because. You just can't muscle your muscle your way through tight games by a single goal margin every week um, until mm. you improve. Even even though they do have undoubted quality in the final third, although as you say, in McAteer being the match winner, he isn't necessarily a player that you'd anticipate is is, is a, a kind of cut above the opposition. But um so yeah, difficult. I mean, I, I and I think it would be remiss of us not to mention Rotherham here, who've had a, a difficult start themselves to this season um, and put in a, a brilliant display here. You know. They've been really unfortunate, I think. At times, they were so good against Blackburn before that controversial red card meant that they squandered their two-goal lead. They took the lead against Sunderland and were just edged out. They went toe-to-toe with Leicester here. Probably the the highest budget in the league against the, the lowest and, and can feel aggrieved at not having taken away a point. So, yeah, commiserations to them. And for Leicester, it's, it's still a big TBC.
0: Southampton beat QPR 2-1. I think their opening goal is significant because it was scored by... Samuel Edozi, it's his first goal of the season. Uh, He had a a helping hand. (laughs) Keeper! (laughs) Uh, Had a helping hand from uh, the experienced Asmir Begovic, who let that shot squirm under him. Edozi is possibly the dribbliest of the dribbly wide forwards in the league right now. Um, He just gets it and runs at fullbacks, and I love that, and he is... I mean, he's very agile, he's got great balance, he twists and turns, you know, he's naturally right-footed and clearly more comfortable there, but he goes down the line enough to, to keep defenders pretty honest on that front. His his shooting so far this season has been fairly wild, uh, and some of his his final ball and his decision-making hasn't been great. However, I do tend to lean towards the fact that just being a player that can get into those situations inside the box so uh, regularly, really, with that amount of ease, um, the mixture of skill and speed, it means that this is going to be someone that really does impact things. However, he now becomes even more important for Southampton because Nathan Teller has gone to Leverkusen. Uh, last week, I said... Quite frankly, he's too good to be playing in the championship. And within a week, uh, he's been bought for something like twenty, twenty-five million euros. Um,
1: I, two I, mentions of Leverkusen in, in the first half an hour of the pod this week is quite fun. <laughs>
0: that is fun. Uh, it's like it's two thousand and two all over again. <laughs> anyway, um, he is amazing, Teller, and I'm I'm sad that we we don't get to watch him again. But it feels right to be quite honest. And I'm a bit worried for Southampton because for me. Mm. He was their one player outside of small bone who picked up an injury and is out for a while. That for me was obviously operating at a scary, scary level for for the championship individually. Um, and he's gone now. And there was a big onus on him when the balls funneled that wide to him or a dozy, as as has been the general pattern of, of Southampton's play so far for them to create something and make something happen. So um, a, a big gap there was filled by 17 year old Amo Ameor, who looks Unbelievably fun as well, but is a 17-year-old um, without much experience, so clearly a big drop-off there. Um, obviously, Suleimana is is still there for now. Uh, another player seemingly attracting interest. So Southampton have got a, a very interesting next 72 hours or so. Uh, they won this game, but I think there is a but. Uh, Armstrong's winner was was lovely, um, a brilliant touch and finish just the sort of goal that that we picture him scoring in a Blackburn Rovers shirt. It's his fourth goal of the season, but as previously discussed, one of them he knew nothing about, which flicked off the top of his head. The other two were penalties. So this really the first sign that he could be getting back to proper championship goal scoring um, form. In between Southampton's first and second goals, at home to QPR, um, they there was a 34-minute period where they didn't have a shot at 1-0, which is... Mm surprising lack of sort of um, what would you call it uh, turning, thrust thrust yes that's exactly what you'd call it um, you know they had 73% possession in this game which is what you'd expect given the stars of the two teams they only had 7 shots total that is just unusually low um, not having a shot for 34 minutes is quite unusual as well and in that time it wasn't like they were just holding the ball and knocking it around QPR were dangerous whether it was Ilyas Chair, whether it was Paul Smith, whether it was Sinclair Armstrong, they were causing them a lot of problems. They had a a callback goal from range, which equalised. Lovely strike. They had a disallowed goal. They hit the post. They looked the more likely at 1-1 for a long period. And yet Southampton have won it again late. And yet QPR have lost it again, George, despite um, us saying basically the same thing for quite a lot of these two teams' games this season.
1: For sure. And I think QPR have put in two... Very good performances against two decent sides in Ipswich and Southampton and come away with with, with no points over the last week. It does feel like maybe Gareth Ainsworth is starting to get a bit of a tune out of this side. And I think Sinclair Armstrong playing through the middle is just with confidence is such a destructive force. And it makes it very hard for sides like Southampton who want to keep the ball not to get caught out on the on the break. Um I completely agree with you about what you said about Teller. Like it, it felt like Russell Martin's style of football. Plus Nathan Teller was a really dangerous mm. um, proposition where
0: we just never had from, wide forwards of that profile, did he? At Swansea? Exactly, and I think so, that's so partly often, why they felt quite clogged up in the final third. So, so
1: if, if a team sat in, they often found it very difficult to break them down. Whereas you know he's basically like a a. Um, and, uh, a a master key to low blocks and teller where you can shift the ball out to the right-hand side and he will just consistently cut back onto his left foot and fire shots across the face of goal Um which when you can do that with quality as we saw with Manuel Benson about 15 times last season can be really destructive Um losing him makes me concerned for them losing Shea Adams as well he's someone who is a much more all-action forward or striker than um Adam Armstrong in terms of, of offering a bit more physicality of offering a bit of an outball as well. Um, Have they lost
0: him? He's not gone yet, has he?
1: Well, he wasn't in the squad on Saturday. So I think it's imminent, perceived to be imminent, I think is, is, is the way it is right now. Ah. I mean, he might stay. Um, but if they lose both Adams and, um, when well, they've already lost Teller, then, you know, they, they need a big week, really. It, it seems to me like Flynn Downs has come in, um, uh, who offers, you know, obviously what, Martin wants in the middle of the park, especially with small out. Um, Ryan Fraser's come in, who I guess offers you that industry out wide and a bit of quality too, but by no means anywhere near the kind of goal threat that Teller, Teller provides. So it'd be interesting to see how they get on. Like this was a, a big red flag p- performance for me. Um, yeah. And I, and for QPR. It's it's coming. I would say like it's not going to be long. I don't think until we talk about QPR having picked up their first win of the season and maybe more than that.
0: Tell me about Watford nil, Blackburn one. Uh, this one uh, on Sunday. Uh, we had messages from mates watching this who couldn't believe how sort of open and uh, <laughs> kind of entertaining it was and and messy again that word kind of messy. A lot of the games are looking like this at the moment. I think a really like a lot of teams following on from those at the very top of the game are. Kind of embracing more openness out of possession in order to try and create the sort of chances that they want. Um, maybe that was the case here. George Watford nil, Blackburn one, uh, and a, a, a beautiful and viral goal from Ryan Hedges. And it must tick one of your big boxes of, yeah, goals you do not see very often.
1: I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love it. Like the ball comes out to Hedges, you know, for, for context sake. Um, the game started fairly level and then it was just total what for domination, I would say, for a massive period of it um in terms of, of dominating possession. I, I think that the Blackburn went for a long stretch in the game without having a shot um until basically from the kind of 20th minute until Hedges picks up the ball on the right hand side. And his first touch is one of those lovely kind of little chipped forward touches that takes the ball over the defender's outstretched leg. I think it was Hoot. And then, I mean, for no reason, because he can, like, it doesn't really matter. He just carries the ball into the box just with a couple of keepy-uppies before firing the ball into the, into the near post. Like, just outrageous skill, incredible execution, total. And I think because of the nature of the game, because batman had had so few forays forward or so few opportunities to score... To kind of take the opportunity with that reckless abandon, I just absolutely loved. So, um, yeah, an awesome goal from a very, very talented player. Um, yeah, I'm so, hopefully Blackburn fans are happy enough of me saying that because I'm going to caveat it by saying that I think it was a, a goal worthy to win three points, but not necessarily a performance worthy to win three points. Um, but I think most of that is down to Watford, who are kind of my big, my big ones right now. Like, I don't know what Valerian Ishmael has done to deserve this, but at West Brom, it was absolutely a case of, of the, the fans not enjoying or appreciating the style, but also the results were just not aligned with how they were playing. It was just an incredibly poor run of finishing from certain players. He has, it, it almost feels like hes he's gone away, Valerian Ishmael. He's listened to the criticism. And he's come back and he's thought, right, I'm going to take that on board. I'm going to take on your, 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 your criticism, your, your feedback. And I'm going to continue to play an incredibly high pressing game out of possession. But on the ball, we're just going to take our time a bit. And it's, it's crazy to watch now that this is a, a, a Valerian Ishmael side who just dominate the board at the back. Like they are, you know, in Hoot and they've got two players who, um, in every game they've had so far this season, have had by far and away the most touches and most passes than anyone on the pitch, and that is not what we saw at Barnsley or, or at West Brom when it comes to to, uh, to Watford. And it's mainly short passing between between them out wide. Um, so he's changed the the style to be more pleasing on the eye, and I think it is. But again, we're just seeing incredibly poor finishing consistently from from players um, or, or bad luck. You know, Martin's obviously at the woodwork with with a decent effort. Um, Tele Bashiru missed a, a good opportunity to like it pretty soon. And we saw it in the first half against QPR on opening day, like these are going to start going in. Um I think Watford might be a side to kind of circle as, as being one that might catch fire fairly soon because we know that Ishmael is, is a very competent manager, building a, a good team. I don't think he sacked anything in terms of attacking thrust <laughs> uh, when changing the style. I just think it's it's just a... a a rotten run of putting the ball in the back of the net and and fairly soon that's going to change And, and they're also so solid defensively they have some of the one of the best if not the best expected goals against figure this season so um yeah keep your don't don't rule out the hornets yet would be my um my advice
0: Basically, feels like there's quite a lot of teams in the championship who have quite a lot of points that you think may not get as many points uh, in the next chunk of games, and then quite a few teams that don't have that many points that you think will get quite a lot of points potentially in the next chunk of
1: games. And thankfully, that is what normally happens: is yeah. the teams who win those games don't just always continue winning. So you know, yes. Imagine if
0: imagine if imagine if every horse race was just like. The the two horses that are leading after one furlong just just pull yeah. clear, win by miles. The middle just stays the middle, and then the ones that start slowly just lose. I know. Incredibly boring sport, wouldn't it? And that would be the same with football, and we don't have it. Um Birmingham two, Plymouth Argyle one. Welcome to Birmingham City, Jay Stansfield. At wow. the Fulham loanee, I think has a decent case to be the most popular player in the EFL amongst fans of the EFL. Um, Everyone that followed Stansfield's story last season when he was on loan at Exeter, when he took the number nine shirt that had been retired by the club after the passing of his father, Adam Stansfield, who scored a lot of goals for the Grecians, who has a stand named after him that Jay scored goals in front of last season, wearing the number nine shirt with Stansfield on the back who whenever he was asked about it, as he so often was, understandably, um, was so wonderfully measured and down to earth and, you know, clearly spoke with such um, great connection to honor honoring his family and his dad and has such a close relationship with the rest of his family which is always touching to hear but also with a, a, a real steely determination this isn't just uh, a kid that everyone wants to do well this is a kid who is some footballer uh, as well and in his first game for Birmingham he came off the bench it was one one uh, he was played through or well, through ish. Uh, with one defender you know kind of jostling for the ball with him in injury time, he took a really clever touch to just knock it in front of and around the defender ran round the other side. And absolutely thumped it home, uh, on the bounce. And I was going to say sending the, the blues fans in, into bedlam. I mean, he did. <laughs> Unfortunately, because of the construction work that's currently going on at St Andrews, you can't really see it on the main camera angle, but thankfully some fabulous post-match content all through the weekend. Slow-mos, uh, uh, you know, passionate commentary, amazing celebration. And that's
1: after he went viral for his slow-mo celebration in the week as well.
0: So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also a comedian that, that does. <laughs> an eerily good slow motion celebration um, and of I course just, it's done it as if we needed any more to the story, uh, scoring against Exeter City's great rivals, Plymouth Argyle, and meaning that for them it's two late defeats in a row in games that they've actually played pretty well in, looked pretty dangerous in, and just been quite wasteful in front of goal and, and been punished late on at the back. Uh, another a big win and what a start to the season for Eustace's Blues. I'm not going to go over the top about the performance here because I, I do think it was a pretty even game, um, but it was one of the great moments of the weekend, one of the great stories of the season. Season so far. And, you know, we won't go on about it every single time Jay Stansfield scores because we're going to talk more about him as a player, I think, uh, over the next few weeks. But really did warm the heart this weekend. Um, other good performers, such as uh, Keshi Anderson, a um, couple of injuries picked up. Siriki Dembele's out at the moment. Ethan Laird as well. So that's unfortunate to see. But Blues on to 10 points and, and going well. Preston also on 10 points. They beat Swansea at 2 1. And uh, these are two of the aforementioned teams that are still playing. Uh, three at the back systems and fairly rigid within that really. Um, unlike some of the teams that play, you know, what looks like a four-three-three maybe on paper, but turns into a three-two-five or a two-three-two-three, as is as is the case with Saints and Leicester in particular. Uh, and you know, uh, in 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 homage to the last few years of Championship football, it was pretty fairly low-margin, dull stuff. I think uh, only four shots on target, three goals scored, so at least the finishing was good. Uh, Harrison Ashby's was an absolutely brilliant mm. strike to to control a volley. On the bounce when you are sprinting into the box from right wing back to get on the end of a cross um, absolutely brilliant, but everything's going well for Preston at the moment uh, and they they've got their way back into it with a set piece goal. Andrew Hughes uh, born in Cardiff, scoring against Swansea to equalize and loving it and then uh, one of the great summer additions so far uh, in terms of his con- contribution to his team is uh, Fo Jensen, who uh, so good that assist nutmeg the defender. Uh, and cut it back for Dwayne Holmes to smash home. So it, it's more of the same really for Preston here, George. Do
1: you know what one of my favorite things that I hadn't realized before, but I now know that I always love it is when a player like Jensen does on uh, like Jensen did on Saturday. So Sorry, George, I'm going to stop you there. Fuck
0: yeah, Jensen.
1: Sorry, fuck yeah, Jensen. Um, Doesn't assist like, like that one where it's such a good individual assist. I love it when they just go off and celebrate on their own in front of the crowd. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. <laughs> just right, acknowledging right. like, yes, I was awesome there. So I'm going to take my own adulation rather than run over to the goal scorer. Um, I mean, Preston started the season incredibly well. Um, you know, it's been a, a topsy-turvy ride so far for Ryan Lowe. Um, but, and this was, you know, again, it, it's not necessarily the manner of performance you would, you'd associate with with a top championship side. But either way, you know, Swansea aren't, um, even though they haven't got off to a great start under Mike Duff, it's still uh, impressive to come back from 1-0 down and win the game with that bit of quality too. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm going to be intrigued to see what Preston have got when they come up against um, better teams, I guess. Like when you look at their, their fixtures so far, it has been Bristol City, Sunderland, which was a, you know, difficult game, but Wednesday in Swansea. Um, three side, basically four sides who've, uh, struggled to start the season. Um, they go to Stoke next, which is more difficult. Um, but their, their run of, of games coming up isn't particularly difficult until they get to, um, Baggies, Leicester and Ipswich coming up in, in October. So, uh, the good times might keep rolling for, for Ryan Lowe. Um, but it's been a, a, yeah, a brilliant start with 10 points from their first four.
0: And two narrow home wins with Cardiff two, Sheffield Wednesday one and Millwall one, Stoke nil.
1: Big one for Gary Rao at this after this is Millwall Stoke rather than him being particularly keen on Cardiff uh, Wednesday. Um, with some fan unrest uh, around his stewardship, which seems crazy. Um, with it being against his former side Stoke, um, with their uh, summer signing Kevin Nisbet scoring the, the only goal in the game. Um, it should buy him some breathing room. They weren't great again, if we're honest, like it wasn't a particularly good performance, but sometimes just getting over the line in games like this, especially when you're under a bit of pressure, can be the most important thing. I think for Stoke, it's one of those where they, they'll, they'll feel frustrated. They weren't able to get anything from it, but, um, you know, no cause for massive panic after what's been a decent start to the season. Uh, more issues for, for Sheffield Wednesday, um, again, where, they were only in the game because of a bit of magic from Barry Bannon, who scored an unbelievable goal with his left peg. Like I just don't understand how he's able to just find those corners so consistently. Um Kind of digging the ball out and, and sending it into the top left-hand corner after Ike Ogbo had put Cardiff ahead, Um but it was a very, very late penalty. Um Impossible to see. It was a Will handball. I'm not really sure what he's doing. Like It's kind of, the ball's flashed behind him, and he's kind of diving ahead with his arm flailing, and he Gives the referee a decision to make, and we can't see from our camera angles if it was the right one or not. But either way, it's pretty foolish. And Royal Wintel dispatched the penalty in the 98th minute, so things don't get any better for um, for Sheffield Wednesday. It was a sigh of relief for me from the uh, betting show pick, um, in Cardiff kind of up and away. But yeah, with, with Wednesday going to, to Leeds next up on Saturday, um, in the kind of form that the Leeds showed and the, the players they've got at their disposal on Saturday. You have to fear for Wednesday in that
0: one. Yeah, and in Hull 1, Bristol City 1 on Friday night, we saw a couple of things that we've already seen this season. And and then I'd say a couple of nicely pleasing things as well, new things. We saw more nice play from Manchester City, lonely Liam Delap, who who um, showed a bit of speed, a bit of strength and a bit of skill to uh, get on the ball in the right hand channel to make some space for a cross and then a really nice low cross uh, sort of cutback style to uh, Aussie two fan, uh to fire home another goal. Uh, but Bristol City's response was like stirring. They they were just they were peppering the, the Hull City goal. They were getting, make, well, putting together attacks and creating shooting opportunities almost at will. Jason Knight suddenly turned into like Frank Lampard. Uh, in his prime and went close about a million times. Um, Nicky Wells had a couple of opportunities and eventually did score the equaliser. Uh, Mark Sykes was incredibly lively as well. Uh, 2.5 xG generated for Bristol City. Um, they didn't leave with all three points, but I do think they will have left with a lot more confidence in their attacking play. Again, a lot of it seemed to be kind of transition style attacks rather than, I guess, build up attacks. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a concern, but it is something that we'd like to see more of them because the, the previous three games, they were looking a little bit blunt. So, uh, one all honours even on Friday night. Uh, and the same Coventry against Sunderland, nil nil, but quite a good nil nil, quite an entertaining nil nil. Um, Coventry having the better of it. Um, but Sunderland had their moments as well. Um, Coventry in particular looking quite dangerous when Casey Palmer was on the ball and, um, we're now at a point where Palmer's been fit for, for quite some time, for I think the whole year of 2023. It's probably the longest he's ever been, uh, fit. And I mean, what a quality footballer he is. And, and I think, um, that the longer he can stay fit, the more the narrative around him will start to change and people will realize that in his position, when he's fit, he's probably one of the better players in the league so um, exciting stuff for Kov but couldn't get the winning goal I think last week I said I thought they'd get 12 in their next six games 12 points that is so uh, 11 needed with five to go uh, we've got a monthly awards piece coming out uh, later this week on ntt20.com it's our the first foray of ours into sort of unofficial uh, monthly awards i'm really excited about it um, i'm excited to see uh, to what extent our picks uh, align with or differ from the official awards uh, and and we'll be writing up a little bit on each player as well so player of the month young player of the month manager of the month anything else we can think of as well uh, sign up ntt20.com that one will go out to all uh, subscribers free and paid Well, it's taken a while to get there, but let's go to League Two and why don't we start? League two. No, oh, I was too excited. I've botched it. <laughs> well, it's taken a while to get there, but let's go to League One. George, uh, there's one obvious place to start. It's with table topping Oxford United. Uh, they beat Charlton 2-1 and this match also saw uh, our first sacking of the season. Didn't take too long. Dean Holden has been sacked by Charlton. Uh, you will have had... A very close eye on this one for a number of reasons. Uh, tell me how it went from an Oxford and then from a Charlton point of view.
1: First 10 minutes were fairly level. Charlton maybe having the better of it. If anyone, uh, James Beadle making a save, but the good kind of game turned on a moment of real quality from Tyler Goodrum, who picked up the ball just on halfway, uh, skipped past the defender and then fired the ball off the underside of the bar into the back of the net from about 25 yards. A brilliant strike. He's, he's kind of got it in his locker. He's got a lot of things in his locker, to be honest. Um, he started the season incredibly well linked with, um, moves to the championship over the summer. Um, Oxford very, very keen to keep him. And Liam Manning said after the game that it would take an extremely big offer, um, to even get them considering anything between now and the end of the, end of the window, but Oxford fans desperate to keep him. And then from, from that goal through to half time, you know, it was, um, very much one way traffic and any Charlton fan, uh, would attest to that. There was one brilliant bit of play from Marcus McGuain, who, like, it started the season as if he's a Premier League footballer. Like, he's, as if he was the player that Barcelona thought they were buying from Arsenal seven years ago. Like, he is, ball carrying from deep is just so strong. And he picked up the ball just inside, just outside Charlton's half and, and ran the whole length of the pitch, including a, a dummy from Mark Harris, um, which sent the, the, the Charlton fullback flying. And again, he just picked the wrong pass at the last moment. But Dean Holden made some changes in the second half, um, changed formation and um were probably good value, I think, actually. I mean not on the basis of the first half, but on 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 how the second half started when Alfie May scored um from a quick free kick, which came from the aforementioned McGuane, uh giving the ball back to the free kick taker, which was an interesting call, um, and suddenly he lost his man and, and they scored the goal. That's the new
0: directives it, coming into play. There didn't want to get just, booked for time. Just wasting.
1: drop the ball marker. Just <laughs> just put it down, uh, and then it could have gone either way. Like Charlton didn't create another good opportunity in the game, but at that at that moment it, it felt fairly end to end. But the the goal itself, the winner, came from a I think it was a Charlton free kick. And Stan Mills kind of managed to shift the ball out to McGuane with kind of five minutes to go and suddenly look up and it was like five on three for Charlton to have committed that many men forwards, having surely watched Oxford beat Derby and beat Barnsley from being incredibly good in those situations where the quick transitions, the counterattacks where you can just overload the middle of the park. McGrathen got it out to Rodriguez. Rodriguez played Stan Mills through. Mills um, seems like he might have a, a chocolate left foot because he took two um, very poor touches with his right. But fortunately for him, it was tackled and the ball was diverted into the path of, of Goodrum, who slotted home. For what was on the balance of play over 90 minutes, uh, probably deserved three points. But the second half was certainly more... Uh, yeah, more, more tight than it needed to be. But yeah, just that tactical naivety has is, is maybe been something that we've seen quite a lot in, in Dean Holden's tenure as manager, both at Bristol City and at, at Charlton. It feels like the, it's a very, very attacking mentality regardless of the opposition. You know, his job maybe isn't the easiest, like even though Charlton have a very good squad, there are a lot of academy players playing um, in this side and having to get to grips of with, with men's football very, very quickly. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in. You know, like it's, you know, looking at the, the betting market, like Lee Johnson is favorite. I'm pretty sure given that, um, Charlie Methven, who, you know, fronts up the, the, the group that bought, um, Charlton will know Lee Johnson from his Sunderland days and that didn't end particularly well. Makes, makes that unlikely. Carl Robinson, who is not particularly welcome, uh <laughs> you know, from his first 10 year at Charlton, you know, he isn't, university like to be surprised if there's anything in that Steve Cottrell who doesn't necessarily fit into the youth development um kind of candidate that you'd necessarily see so I'll be interesting to see how they go and where they go it sounds like given they've they've made a um you know Jason Pierce is the assistant sorry is the caretaker and they, they've made some changes to the coaching staff off the back of that it feels like it might be a, a kind of long interview process maybe rather than a um an immediate fix but they need someone who has a record in developing young talent for sure. Like That seems to be like the Charlton Academy is so good. And that's something that Dean Holden, I think, has in his locker. Like he is someone who clearly has that ability, but also someone who's just shown that level of tactical nous um, in the past and has a track record of getting results, basically, um, alongside that, that youth development style that I think they'll, they'll need. so. There's no denying this Charlton squad is very good, as, as a great blend of of youthful exuberance and and that and that proven League One quality. I think it's a really appealing job to be honest for any for any League One manager at the moment. So uh, I'll be watching on intrigued to see who they they go after.
0: I'm not sure I necessarily agree that the squad is that good. In fact, I I was sort of looking internally yesterday about like did we get a little bit blinded by the signing of panuche Kamara and Alfa. <laughs> like Panuche Kamara famously played his first 90 minutes in 18 months and hasn't been seen really on the pitch for Charlton yet this season. Um, and when he he did, he gave the ball away and they lost to Peter United. Uh, Alfie May is clearly an incredibly lively striker. Uh, he's someone that probably necessitates playing up front with another striker. That's where he thrived in the last two seasons with Cheltenham in a 3-5-2. Um, he scored a lot of goals for Cheltenham, but they didn't finish very high in the table. So it's not like he's some sort of uh, reason why a team has to finish particularly high, even though it's likely that they'll still score goals uh, in this team over the course of the season. Um, and I-, I don't think the squad is that good. I think there are areas of the pitch where they look very well stocked almost to a confusing extent. Like, do they need as many central midfielders as they have? Um, do they need more or stronger full-back wing-back options? Yes. Uh, they have some players who are wingers in their squad, but other than Corey Blackett-Taylor, uh, I don't think there's anyone that has played consistently and impacted games consistently for this team. And even Blackett-Taylor himself is somewhat inconsistent very good at beating a player um whose final ball isn't particularly good uh, obviously Lee Burns injury uh, has has been a massive blow for them but Lee Burns you know he's still an academy player that wasn't starting games this time last year so again like if you go into it relying on him to be your nine that's going to stay fit for such a, a young player to be able to to handle that level of of physical responsibility is difficult and because i don't think the squad is as good maybe as i did a few weeks ago and maybe that's overreacting to to poor results Um, maybe it is but i just am a bit confused about the timing of this in the fact that it, it appears that they probably need to do a fair amount of business over the next few days in order to give the next manager a chance of playing games without five academy graduates having to start every game And they have to find a new manager and recruit fairly heavily in 72 hours or or maybe put off finding a manager for a a week or two. That may be the case. But it's the same people that were reported, even though the takeover hadn't been ratified yet, that were reported to have essentially chosen Dean Holden to be the manager, which presumably they had good reasons for and thought was the right idea at the time. So for them to have sacked him before the end of August, despite, I think we can all agree, fair mitigating circumstances in terms of the the, the team that he had to put out. Uh, I think that there were some suggestions from Charlton fans that his reaction at the final whistle suggested he knew he was going to get sacked. And I think if that is true, it absolutely explains why he may have wanted his team to go for the win. Because mm-hmm. if he'd won away at Oxford, you wouldn't be sacked. If you draw yeah, yeah. away at Oxford, you probably still could be. Um, so I, th- I think from a fan's point of view, it's just this exhausting feeling of going round and round in circles um they have had so many managers in the last few years and maybe the reason the squad looks like this is because as we say constantly if you do chop and change managers and they have different styles you end up with kind of weird imbalanced squads you know they've had Boyer, then they've had adkins then they've had johnny jackson then they've had garner then they've had holden in the space of two or three years and the squad reflects that i think so it's uh it's an interesting one for me. I think huge pressure now on the ownership group, on the recruitment team, on on Andy Scott who's been given the keys clearly to to run the football side of the football club. Um yeah, I am I'm I'm I'm, um, I'm not highly impressed with anything that I've seen at Charlton this season uh on the pitch, in the dugout or in in the boardroom.
1: Yeah, I I I take that. And I do think there has to be an argument here as well that right now we're seeing a lot of academy players that we haven't seen a great deal of them playing in a, in a fairly poor sight. Like it wouldn't be a massive surprise if the likes of Croy Anderson, you know, Daniel Carne's obviously already scored two goals this season. Like their quality to us right now is is basically unknown. And we will see how much they can impact games over the course of the season. In the same way that, you know, this time last year, Leeburn. Um, we wouldn't have anticipated we'd get the goals that he's got. There's also, you know, if you look at their bench on, on Saturday, Jack Payne and Terry Taylor weren't used, which seems kind of a little bit surprising. There are senior players that are out as well. Scott Fraser still to come back fairly soon. Um, Kamara, who he mentioned earlier. Like, I do think if you, if you were to strip out the academy players, there's a good first 11 there, but I've, I've got a feeling that stripping out the academy players is the opposite of what Charlton want to do. Like they think they've got a good, good crop. They know that good young EFL talent is very valuable and i think the new manager's remit won't be let's build you a side where you can um you can add more senior players it's let's make these young players this young crop as good as they possibly can be now naturally right. for youth development often just playing them isn't isn't always the best thing to do but we'll see yeah i mean i i, I still think there is plenty within the senior pros to 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 be a good side here um, especially when, when certain players are fit, but the proof will be in the pudding and, and, you know, I, I, whoever they get in is going to have to do a balancing act in terms of blending that youth and experience.
0: Yeah. I, I certainly can't blame any new ownership group for the decisions of those that went before them, the, the previous two or three shambolic ownership groups but it is an important part of the context here in understanding why Charlton fans are feeling like they're feeling right now um which is that feeling of uh, you know another kind of false dawn and going round and round in circles so there is pressure on there to um to 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 get things right and 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 sort of communicate to the fans either with actual communication or on the pitch that things are going to improve because it's all well and good um turning to the academy products and I know the Charlton fans love to see them But unfortunately, if the results aren't don't come straight away for the new manager, he's going to be on a hiding to nothing because that there's not going to be that level of patience shown unless he can somehow prove that everything's going well without results going well. But that doesn't seem like that really worked for uh, for Dean Holden. They've lost four out of five and they're looking for a new manager. That's the big news in, in League One. Uh, Oxford United at the top of the table, though. What a start to the season uh, after that defeat on opening day uh, against Cambridge. They've, they've turned things around very well indeed. Peterborough 2, Derby 4 was a pretty lively one. Um, 500 games of senior football for Martin Waghorn and a beautiful hat-trick to win a big one for Paul Warren's Derby.
1: Yeah, what a way to celebrate it. Um, posh, the better side in the first 20 minutes here. The, the goal was kind of coming, although Waghorn did miss a chance early on. Um, but Johnson Clark Harris tapping in from, from close range. But then it was just one of those crazy 15 minutes where everything that Derby touched turned to gold. And, and Waghorn scored a brilliant hat trick. Um, the third, probably the best of the lot, but just three very, very good finishes. Uh, in and around the box with Iron Cashin scoring good header in the, in the midst of it. And so Posh went from being, what, 1-0 up after 28 minutes, being the better side at home to suddenly going in the half time 4-1 down and not really understanding how that could have happened. Um, in the second half, as you'd anticipate with the scoreline as it was, you know, Posh. Came back at them and, um, you know, scored very late on through Kwame Poku and had a few chances before that. But realistically, the, the game was already gone. So a, a big win for Derby, a big win for Paul Warren. I think had they lost this game without much of a fight, then maybe they could have been question marks asked about, well, they could have been questions asked about him. You don't ask a question mark. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, for Posh, I think you just sometimes a player like Martin McCorn is going to have a day like that. And it's frustrating, but I don't think they did a great deal wrong, uh, for any of the goals really. So, I mean, obviously the marking could have been better on cash in, but Harahan's delivery is just so good that, that sometimes you have to hold your hands up. So a big win for them. Posh, they've had a decent start to the season. Bit of a setback with that defeat at Northampton and then, and then this loss here, but I don't think there was too many red flags in either performance.
0: Exeter City are on 10 points. They beat Reading. late, late on. Uh, A long throw, a layoff from Sam Nombe, uh, heavily linked with about 20 different EFL teams with a couple of uh, hours left of the window. Smashed in by summer signing Reese Cole. Really good uh, strike on the half volley from the edge of the box to win this one for Exeter. Um, Possibly an argument to say this was their weakest performance of the season, Um, but they've left with all three points, uh, and that kind of sums up how well things have started. This campaign under uh, Gary Caldwell as a slightly new look, Exeter City. Uh, Will Amerson flicked ahead to put them in front. Reading came back into it. Uh, Harvey Nibs scored a, a nice goal, really quick counter attack. It looks with the the front four that they are playing currently, like quick counter attacking football uh, is going to be a, a really dangerous part of Reading's arsenal. Really exciting to watch uh, Nibs smashing home into the top corner. They then had a really good spell, uh, Reading. This young team, still a very young team, uh, so impressed with Kelvin Ahipatio Omen, he looks such a handful it's it's incredible the extent to which he is kind of caught my eye and is exciting me uh, in that role up top for reading and um yeah i mean he just looks like he's got a bit of everything right now and i'm 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 got a very very close eye on on young kelvin um but as discussed, Exeter getting the win at the end. Just a long throw, knocked down, smashed in. Not a huge amount Reading could have done. Um, the defender that, that Nombe held off to, for the layoff probably should have, um, you know, cleared him out, cleared the lines, but, uh, but to get the win. Cleared to, him out. <laughs> a half decent performance, I still think, for Reading. Um, Lincoln three, Blackpool nil. What?
1: Penalties. But the kind of main story here, you know, Blackpool haven't conceded yet this season, um, conceded a penalty which Danny Manju stuck home after seven minutes, um, a deflected effort from Ethan Ahan. I'm just never going to be able to say that name without having to pause before I say it. That was a fun Um, goal,
0: wasn't it? He he carried it about 60 yards. And then it was was, was one of those where you get really annoyed about the deflection because otherwise it would have been an absolute stonker. Correct.
1: Yes, I agree. Um, Although I think it needed, pretty needed the deflection to go in. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then another penalty kind of midway through the second half and not many chances either side of that for for the home side. Um, Lincoln have got, sorry, Blackpool have got some issues though, in terms of their creative play. Um, Jordan Rhodes has come in who you might think would solve that. He had a few opportunities here. I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of of that signing. I know that he is perceived to kind of guarantee you goals, but I think in Beasley and Lavery, you've got two players who have it within them to to do so. And I think the issue with Rhodes is obviously his ability to to kind of press off the ball. And I I always think of a, well, that, that good Neil Critchley side. Um, It wasn't necessarily high pressing, but it was just incredibly, robust and you know ironically very clinical in terms of of when they went forward um so we'll see how that develops but um i can see why after a a poor finishing spell maybe blackpool would go out and just buy someone who's known for their finishing but i'm not sure it's the best fit um so yeah things after looking like they were going to start well for blackpool they are one of those sides where they're kind of a big data outlier at the moment and, and things might turn around um, but when you can see two penalties in, in the way that they did, uh, it's very hard to come back from that. And, and Lincoln continue their, their pretty good start to the season.
0: Certainly do, as do Port Vale, uh, who beat Carlisle 1-0. Vale, God, I love early season quirks. Uh, Port Vale are on 10 points after five games with a minus four goal difference.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because of that. they that 7-0. The old 7-0 reverse on opening oh, day. Um, and they're <laughs> set
1: up bonds, aren't they?
0: They are above Barnsley. A really impressive performance in the main. Uh, the better side here for sure, even if yes. it took a, a comedy penalty for them to actually uh, score the winner. It was a, a throw in from the left side. John Mellish launched it on the bounce to Jokal Andresen who did not control it cleanly on his thigh, uh, slid away from him. He then brought down the attacker uh, and the penalty was scored. Um, Paul Simpson's Definitely did the most impressive, angry press conference of the season so far. And the fact is, Carlisle are not in great nick, really. Uh, It's only two goals they've scored in five games. They've got improving to do on that front. You know, they they didn't finish last season as a particularly good attacking team in League 2. So quite a lot to do, you think, on the attacking end. And defensively, clearly, it's just about maintaining concentration and and kind of, you know, having to be absolutely on it at all times in order to, to be that strong defensive team that they were. Um, Josh Thomas has had a couple of lively cameos off the bench for Port Vale. He's on on loan from uh Swansea City. Scored has got a lot of goals for their unders, so I, I'm excited to see him uh, develop. Uh, Wigan, Neil Barnsley, too, was a, a big fixture on paper. George, uh, Barnsley getting their second win of the season. Quite an important one, you'd think, for Neil Collins and the gang. A, a bit of a shame, really. I would have liked to have seen this one play out with 11 v 11, but that's not the, the reality. 20 minutes in, red card for Charlie Hughes.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting red card decision as well, where, um, it's a massive decision to make at the time. I know that Wigan fans are, are absolutely convinced that it's, that it's not a red card. Again, I think he gives them a decision to make by raising his hand. Um, it's, it's very soft. If there was VAR, it wouldn't be overturned. Thankfully, there isn't VAR. Um, but there's no denying that after a brilliant start to the season, I think you can basically just draw a line through this, <clears throat> through this game because of that early red card. And from there on, Barnsley were able to, to kind of scamper home to victory very comfortably. Devante Cole scoring, um, the, the first goal. John McAtee had a very lively game after he came on it making his debut, having joined on loan from Luton in the week, uh, missed an open goal, um, where kind of rounded the keeper and then rolled the ball wide of the goal from, from quite far out and from wide. Um, but then showed what he's about with a really clinical finish in a one on one very late on. So yeah, I think for Wigan and I think Sean only said it afterwards. The red card changes the game. There's nothing you can really do about that. You just have to say these things happen sometimes. And it was happened at an opportune moment for Barnsley after um, they'd struggled to maintain that that form after the 7-0 win. And they got a bit of a freebie here with with 11 against 10 for the majority of it.
0: Got a new name for the radar. Uh, everyone loves a left-footed CB. Let me tell you about Jack Shepard. Played left centre-back for Barnsley uh, after Liam Kitching uh, was left out here. Uh, they signed him from the 8th tier, from Pontefract Collieries in the wow. Northern Prem Division 1 East. Don't forget the East there. Um, he's also played for Penston Church and Athersley Recreation. Uh, and he is a young left-sided centre-back who seems to absolutely love a long-range crossfield Diag. So uh, that's always going to catch our attention. Uh, and he plays for a winning Barnsley team here uh, in the third tier, having jumped up five tiers this summer. Uh, Leighton Orient beat Cambridge 2-0. Big, 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 big one. Big one to settle some nerves, I think, in East London here. Uh, and an impressive performance because last week we sat here and we said, I think basically any team that plays against Cambridge and it's going to kind of come onto them and, and want to keep hold of the ball and commit bodies forward in a, in a possessional style, uh, red flag because Cambridge good shape. Out you, of possession.
1: You're going to hear from my lawyers.
0: Good on the break. Well, ben, I'm going you're to sue you for that. You're not the one that picked them. Cambridge DNV <laughs> next best on the betting show. Um,
1: I think, I think, I think what, what I said was Cambridge when they're at home, I think will be very good. I think it's difficult yeah it's it's a it's a different game i guess on the roads um when you can't dictate um parameters maybe um so that's my take
0: you've had some good <laughs> phrases today chocolate left foot being one of them which i noted down i have no you. idea what that means and um uh, means left the foot's p- made out of chocolate <laughs> tasty a tasty left foot is that, what, <laughs> is that where they call it a tasty left foot uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you can't dictate the parameters away from home like you can at home famously um, and they didn't dictate the game nor the scoreline um, no. Orient dominated the ball and avoided Cambridge's traps um, they had the parameters on their side and they had Shaq Ford on their side Up front, specifically scoring, uh, I think his first goal for Orient, having joined uh, on loan from Watford. He had an excellent uh, National League loan with York City last season. So, be interesting to see if he could have a run up front for Orient and provide them the the goals from that number nine position that they. Never got last season. Um, and then Theo Archibald scored the second. I've got a real soft spot for for Archibald. I just think he has a level of kind of technical quality and vision, um, both in terms of uh, his dribbling ability, but also uh, when he cuts in from the right-hand side in particular, his quality with his left foot. I mean, he hit the bar. With, with what would have been an absolute worldie uh, a, a more regulation goal for the second, running onto a, a Tom James clip over the top uh, Cambridge defense somewhat sleeping there for Archibald, so big win for Wellington Orient, just to settle some nerves and, and kind of get back on track, I guess, uh, what about Wigan no, what about Wickham winning away at Bristol Rovers, George? We saw. Probably the sensational celebration of the day from, uh, from Joe Lowe, who, uh, came through at Bristol City and was pretty excited to score, uh, at the mem.
1: Yeah, Joe Lowe with his third goal of the season. Um, Wickham proficient from set pieces at the moment. He scored uh, ahead of from a, from a set piece, which was Wickham's first shot of the game. Um, Chris Rovers were, were, were mainly poor. Um, Although Giovanni Brown missed a a decent opportunity um, early on. But in the second half, it was kind of weird where there was a bit of a smash and grab from from Wickham in the first half. And you you thought that Bristol Rovers would therefore be in the ascendancy come the second half. But actually, there's one way traffic the other way. I think Wickham put in their best performance of the season so far in that second half um, with... uh, Luke Lee, he went very close to something he hit the bar from a, a long range effort. Gareth McCleary was the one who got the goal with 15 minutes to go and it was totally deserved. Um, Harvey Vale, online from Chelsea, got his first goal for the club, um, with a decent finish to make it 2 1. And there was, you know, a, a fairly nervy, you know, Tristan Kramer, um, had a, a shot, uh, blocked wide, um, just in, at the death, which, which would have been an equaliser. Um, but, not yeah, by Joe
0: Lowe, who clearly just loves throwing his head and what balls was it was it things. was it by Lowe? Yeah, yeah. Big Amazing. celebs there as well.
1: Um yeah, but for the most part, it just did not do enough. Um after such a, an impressive start to the season. Um I don't well I certainly as anyone who listens to the Batting Show didn't anticipate that there would be so toothless here up against the Wickham side who have struggled in the main to to convince. Um but a big result for Matt Bloomfield, a big result for Wickham on the road, um, you know, I, I would still like to see more from them in open play, uh, I have to say. But um, but there's no denying that um, things have, have improved after a, a bit of a stuttering start.
0: So Cheltenham lost 1-0 at home to Northampton. Uh, Cheltenham... Per the excellent Hugh Davis, who wrote the League One roundup in our uh, weekend notes newsletter piece uh, yesterday. Cheltenham, uh, unfortunately for their fans, are the only team in the top seven tiers. That's 252 teams uh, not to have scored uh, in a fixture yet this season. That's not including Everton. So I've lied there. Uh, Everton are also the other team that haven't scored.
1: Premier League Um, doesn't count.
0: Well, they've only played three games, whereas Cheltenham have now played six in all competitions um um and uh, we look forward, as Hugh said to their uh goal of the month competition this month. <laughs> um Not only have they not scored that they, they they really aren't getting very close to scoring. their underlying numbers are not that of a team that have just started the season um you know, without shooting boots on that they are the the underlying numbers of comfortably the worst attacking team in the league um their only shot in the first hour at home to northampton was a long range strike from ferry um you know they they probably could have got the ferry to france in that time um and <laughs> Jesus. might have been might have been a better option for them um I mean, northampton you know were huffing and puffing and 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 having opportunities and eventually it was Sam Hoskins, uh, shock, who did the damage.
1: How has he not passed? I mean, I know it's Hoskins, so but like Jesus Christ, if that doesn't go in.
0: <laughs> well, he knew that if he hit it really hard at Luke Southwood in the rain, there was a chance it would slip under Southwood's body and go in, uh, and that's what happened. Uh, I, I had a quick look on Hoskins's uh, transfer mark to page. You can you can see all the goals that a player has scored. And, uh, obviously the definition of a winner, uh, for me is pretty clear. basically has to be the winning goal in a, in a one goal win, a single goal margin victory. Uh, of course that, you know, there is an argument to say that the, that, you know, just scoring the opening goal in a 2-0 win is quite important or, or the one that makes it 2-1 in a 3-1 win is quite important. But if we're, if we're only looking at definitely match winning goals, uh, I still think Hoskins might, might probably has the record. For current EFL players, winning goals for one club. Uh, I'm willing to be wrong here. If anyone can find someone better, then please do. Uh, The transfer marked all goals page is helpful for this. But I counted around a dozen on a quick sweep this season uh, this morning, uh, including this one for Northampton. And you know, we said. After Cobblers were winless in three, that their performances weren't hugely concerning. Uh, and it's now back to back narrow wins against Posh, which was smashy and grabby. And then this one, which was a, a little bit more convincing. So the points tally now, which is seven from five, probably more accurately reflects how that reflects how they've started this season. And I look forward to seeing them kick on from here. Fleetwood, Shrewsbury. Oh, Fleetwood, eh? Not starting that well for them. That's it. Only one point from five games. I think in some of the other games, it was poor defending that, that let them down. Here, I don't think you can really say that. They, they were, they were pretty bright. They were the better side in the first Mm. half. They had all the territory. They were having, they were having literally all of the shots until the 40th minute when from their own corner, there was a break. There was a slip. Robertson, who was the last man back and Daniel Udo definitely back from injury now because he his pace was fantastic he raced clear kept the ball under control just about got his shot away before the the lunging defender uh, and finished to put shrews up with their first shot on the 40th minute uh, and that, that's how it finished george so have you got any particular thoughts about fleetwood and shrews at this point
1: yes i'm pretty concerned for both of them right now but as you say there's just no denying that fleet were by far the better side up until the goal like Shrewsbury offered absolutely nothing and it was only a defensive lapse that, that let Shrewsbury in um, even then in the second half um there was very little to to get excited about with either side basically um I don't know if the, the, the goal hit Fleetwood's confidence somewhat, but having created plenty in the first half, they were then once behind, barely create anything. In my mind, this was basically a game between two very, very poor sides. And I know that Shrewsbury already have, I think nine points on the board, which is massive because from where I'm sitting, um, the, the, the level of their performance at the moment doesn't suggest they're any better than, than relegation fodder right now. Well, that's harsh. Not relegation fodder, but a relegation candidate. I think they need to get You've used, points the, the, you've used the
0: wrong word there. You've corrected yourself immediately and I respect Thank that.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. So I, you know, apologies to Shrews fans for, for saying fodder. I meant candidate. Um, which I guess probably won't go down too much better. Um, off the back of it, you know, Udo's pace is obviously important. His quality, the fact that he's back fit. Um, and in Bowman as well, they've got a player who, um, you know, can also, you know, they've got two strikers basically with very different skill sets You can both offer goals. But given that after the red cards, um, which came two minutes after Udo's goal, Shrewsbury was still basically unable to create anything of note or even be the better side of the game is a red flag. I think Fleetwood can take something out of the, um, The first 40 minutes, there was probably some frustration from Fleetwood's part that Josh Earl um, was sent off for a stamp in the 94th minute, just to the point where Fleetwood looked like they might be on the break, Um, which uh, was, you know, it probably would have come to nothing anyway. But um, yeah, this is, in my mind, a a game between two sides who need to improve their performances fairly, fairly sharpish.
0: Burton won, Bolton won. Uh, saw Bobby Kammer look quite bright for Burton, setting up Mark Helm for the opener, but Dion Charles equalised, running onto a nice ball through from Carl Dempsey, who'd given the ball away in the build-up to Burton's goal. Uh, Dion Charles celebrating with a new contract on on Monday, which I think will be great news for for Bolton Wanderers. Him, Clark Harris are the, the strikers that championship fans who think they need a striker are looking at at the moment and going, maybe we just buy that guy from League One. I've looked at his goal tally from last season and he seems like an obvious candidate. Obvious fodder, you'd probably say. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, Burton still winless um and, and Wanderers getting the, the draw there. And Portsmouth Nil, stevenage nil was a match that happened, um including a couple of red cards. In league two. Swindon five, Wrexham five last week, six, Crawley nil this week. George, what is happening in Swindon matches?
1: Jake I mean, Young.
0: no you can't jai ho
1: everything (laughs) (laughs) begins with jay though um absolutely mad this game um having extolled the virtues of crawley um bit of humble pie being eaten maybe i mean it would have been a very different game had uh, danny orsi um, not scoop the ball over the bar from close range after 10 minutes. Uh, and what was the kind of the best opportunity until about the half an hour mark? And there wasn't any indication in the first half an hour of what was about to come. Um, in what, what looked a pretty tight game, but Dan Kemp scored the first with a really nice finish. And then Jake Young just went absolutely crazy and scored four goals. Um, or was it two with his right, one with his left, and one with his head? Mm. Um, just. Unbelievable. You know, this is a guy who spent last season on loan at Barrow from Bradford and, and didn't score. I think for Bradford fans who are struggling themselves, it must be quite frustrating to see Aloney um, at a club in your league scoring seven goals in their first four games. Um
0: Well, that, they've already felt that pretty hard when Owen Doyle went on loan to Swindon and fired yes, into promotions. That now- is
1: an excellent
0: point. <laughs> It's now 30 goals in 26 games from Bradford Loneys That's Swindon. Unbelievable.
1: <laughs> that is incredible. Um, yeah, and they were all decent finishes. Um, I mean, he surely isn't going to keep this up, but I think there's a, a wider point here, which is that Swindon look very good. Um, I think Michael Flynn has built a team who are just basically a constant attacking threat. As you say, in, in Young and in Kemp, they've got two additions to the side who, um, just offer some quality, very, very energetic, off the ball, um, creative and have that goal scoring touch too. They, they've started the season impressively even, and, and more impressively, I would say than, than the, uh, the, the pure results having been, um, you know, five, three up against Brexham two minutes ago, having been tuned up against crew, like in another world, they'd have uh, understandably and probably justifiably have four wins from four. So, um, one to keep an eye on and I think having squandered two leads um in 11 v 11 games to, to go and and put six past a team will give them immense confidence going forward I think for Crawley and for Scott Lindsay you've, you've got to probably just say it's one of those days and move on like the performance wasn't that bad you know there are other teams who put in far worse performances on the day than not Crawley didn't and got beat by far fewer um so to remember that the season started OK and, and to kind of get back to that level, level of performance and, and this should be absolutely fine, I would say. Although, difficult trips. You know, they go to Stockport next up and then they face a side who also started the season in incredible form in Newport County after that.
0: Yeah, I mean, extra storylines here where Scott Lindsay returning to Swindon and getting thumped. Uh Friday uh saw the somewhat shock transfer announcement that Dom Telford was leaving Crawley uh, after a year and going to Barrow. Why are you laughing?
1: Because it was just ridiculous.
0: Right, yeah. It did very much come out of nowhere. Um, Dom Telford, famously League Two's top goal scorer in 21-22, uh, signed for Crawley last summer um, as uh, part of their summer of big statements uh, and becomes another sort of uh, demonstration of uh, the ownership group of Crawley not backing up big statements anywhere beyond about two months. Uh, other big statements were hiring Kevin Betsy um and 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 saying that you were going to support an incredible young coach and then not really doing that once results didn't come your way um other big statements included um you know a lot of big noises about funding the club uh, which I think we can say pretty definitively 12 months or longer down the line uh, haven't been backed up my understanding here is that Telford was signed and was in order for Crawley to sign Don Telford they uh, provided him with a, a very very high wage for a, a league two striker um, and my understanding is that 12 months down the line it's become clear to them that they can't or, or won't be able to have him on the books uh, on that wage so it doesn't speak very highly to the the ownership and their level of planning and their level of of seeing through what they've uh started but you know as you say uh it is just this game was just a, a blot on the copybook of what's otherwise been a, a strong start to the season so i don't think it necessarily has to spell um spiral uh, from this point um but you can understand how uh, that was pretty tough to take for for the fans um mansfield three stockport two it felt like a big game. I previewed it on the Six Fix, uh, and it was a good game. Mm. It was a good game, and there are some somewhat surprising aspects to it, uh, and some unsurprising aspects. I guess the unsurprising aspects are that Mansfield, for the fifth game in a row in League Two, created tons and tons of chances, took loads of shots, and scored quite a few goals. They also conceded two, which is kind of more of the same, really. Uh, in 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 the second half, there was a period in which Mansfield had 17 shots without Stockport having won. And that level of dominance is surprising to me. Now, the context is Stockport were 2-1 up early here after 20, 25 minutes or so. Uh, and so, of course, Game State is going to play a factor there with Mansfield chasing the game. I still am surprised um, that Stockport, from a, a real position of strength and being in the lead, a team that i still expect to be a lot better than maybe what we're seeing um weren't able to manage the game that well from that point um now mansfield are uh, putting up attacking numbers the likes of which we haven't really seen very often at this level Stag party stag party exactly uh and maybe the groom is davis Keelordan. because <laughs> <laughs> he is just everywhere at the moment um scored two goals one of which had the aid of a deflection, the equalizer, but the, the winning goal was just a beautiful little curl into the far corner. Big celebration. He's playing with a lot of swagger and confidence. Mansfield are in the main, uh, doing that as well in attack. Um, you know, we'll still look back at the two goals they conceded with some disappointment, but overall it's a, it's a massive win. It's a big win, George. Big win.
1: It's a, yeah. It's a huge win. Uh, and I think Mansfield have been one of the most impressive, if not the most impressive side so far in League Two this season and to, um, come up against a Stockport side who basically no team has done this to Stockport, I don't think, over the last um, 12 months since they've been back in the EFL, where they've just yes, they've conceded two goals. The first was a brilliant finish by Louis Barry, but just a constant threat they were all game uh, Mansfield. In um, Davis Keeler, done. they've got a a, a player who I think is basically as good as it gets in terms of being a goal scoring forward. Um, he, I think, is going to score a lot of goals this season. Um, and he's already got five. Um, but Mansfield look to me just to have, 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 really clicked. And I know they've had some injury issues, but it doesn't really seem to be affecting them right now. And, um, yeah, I think, I know the, the bookmakers don't necessarily disagree, but I think right now they look to me to be the best team in League Two and probably the likely winners of the, of the league if they carry on like this.
0: It was four straight 1-0 wins for Gillingham. Uh, it was discussed at length on this podcast last week. It was three straight defeats for Colu in the league. So, of course, it was Gillingham nil, Colchester 3. Go on, mate. Go on.
1: So, what you t- want me to say I told you so? Because I'm not going to do that. Um, say
0: so, it- so what you like, mate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... The game kind of developed in a way that most Gillingham games have so far this season, with the kind of very few chances within them. Um Fierke Kelleher opened the scoring and scored the first goal, scored against Gillingham this season in what was a really scrappy um, goal from a set piece with Tavide and Ahevinen, um both going close before Kelleher kind of scrambled it in. And this is the first time that Gillingham have been, have been behind, so maybe it wasn't a massive surprise to see them caught twice on the break. Uh, with the two aforementioned players um scoring with basically just long balls forward that they managed to uh, control. But the Hyven is that how I say his name? You are normally better than me than this. <laughs> a hyven. I,
0: I, I This wasn't one where I was going to be highly critical because it's only about 45 minutes since I messaged Jamie, who's a Colchester fan on the squad, and, <laughs> and asked about uh, pronunciation. Uh, Jamie says that in the local press they are going with eon Vien. Eon Vien.
1: Wow, I was so eon wrong. Vien. What an brilliant.
0: iconic first goal
1: to score just in just football. Just an <laughs> unbelievable finish. A little a little dink over um over the keeper to make it to make it three nil. Amazing scenes behind the goal. I mean it is a ridiculous away in that one. But um Koyu fans going absolutely wild for all three goals scored scored in front of them. So yeah, I mean I think you know Gillingham won their first four games one nil. They've lost this one three nil. They probably weren't as good as winning four games in a row, 1-0. They're certainly not as bad as losing this one, 3 nil. The answer is probably somewhere in between. But yeah, there was an air of inevitability that um, without being able to shut teams out, they were going to concede at some point and they just happened to concede three goals in, in basically 20 minutes to um, bring them back to earth with a bit of a bump. But I've, I've got no doubt that they're still, a, they've got a quality squad with good players. And um, yeah, it won't be long until they're picking up three points again.
0: The answer, my friend, is somewhere in between. <laughs> the answer is somewhere I'm in surely, between. Surely,
1: surely the answer, my friend, is Brad Ian VN. It'd be better. <laughs> it could be. It could
0: be. Eon Energy. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no free ads. Um, MK Dons 2, Dons Caster 1, uh, Tuna up Early MK, Harvey and O'Hora scoring. And then they just kind of stopped playing or at least they stopped attacking i don't really know what to think about it uh, and i'm wondering what you think about mk at this point the points tally is very impressive um you know credit to them for getting ahead in this game and then they, they didn't have a shot in the second half um now you don't really need to when you're it up but it wasn't as if they just squashed the game completely like i think at first donnie who are clearly still highly low on confidence really didn't know what to do, um, but after Molyneux smashed home to make it two-one, they did have a bit of a go. Uh, just couldn't quite get back in. Molyneux had another um, powerful effort that that uh, didn't have the same result. So MK win two-one against Donny. You know, on the face of it, it kind of seems pretty standard given the start of the season to these two teams. Do you have any particular thoughts about our table-topping MK Don's?
1: Um, they've lost the XG battle in all five of their games so far, which is wow. interesting. Um they, have,
0: they do seem to have a habit of scoring early which is yeah, a good habit so that, is it one that
1: I was going to say game state will, will play a part in that so I'm I'm not just saying that they're rubbish um and certainly this was an occasion where they were the better side until they went 2 nil up and then I don't know maybe this is the way that Graham Alexander likes to protect um two nil leads but it's it's more concerning when you consider just how bad Donny have been up to now um you know the, the second half Albeit 2-0 down was the best on have played all season. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not sold on MK Dons at this stage. Um, they clearly have loads of individual quality. Molly started the season incredibly well. Jonathan Lecco has shown in flashes what he can do. Cameron Norman and Dan Harvey are out wide provide some serious quality in terms of both goals and creativity. So Ethan Robson in central midfield should be playing in League Two, I still think. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's it's. I'm not certainly not not sold. I'm not sitting here thinking yes we are seeing. You know if you compare if you compare MK Dons and Mansfield starts the season in terms of, of what they're doing on the pitch. I think um Mansfield have been more impressive, but right now it's MK Dons with with the more points. um, But it wouldn't shock me if at some point they they get they come unstuck. Although or, or maybe we we will just learn this how they're going to do things. Just you know blitz teams in the first fifteen minutes and then ride the luck. And
0: Salford lost two-one to Accrington.
1: Weird game, are, isn't
0: it? Are Salford bad or are Accrington good? Um,
1: hard to say. Do you know? I'll looking... tell you
0: what, mate. That the, the three forty-five p.m. check of the FOT Mob shot match. Yeah. Phew, phew.
1: Yeah, they obviously I mean, they came back into it a bit in the second half. But yes, I mean it was. I mean Accrington were were by the better team by miles in the first half. Um, you know, Salford offered very little at all and Salford's goal was, was a penalty um, even though they had chances kind of late on to, to to get something from the game which I think would have been fairly undeserved although Accrington actually didn't have a shot after the 65th minute so mm. they did come back into it do you know where's Elliot what? because I can't find anything about him being injured anywhere and he hasn't played a minute um, and the issue I'll, is um, mostly he follows yeah. us on Twitter I'll
0: DM him does he yeah or like, maybe, like, where, where are yeah. you Twitter or Insta, I can't remember what, but we've I <laughs> can't remember like it, what it's uh, but not we've, a massive... uh, we've exchanged a few messages before, so I'll, I'll drop him a message and check on it. It's him.
1: not a massive surprise that taking out the best centre-fielder in League 2 would lead to issues both in terms of creativity and um, just being a functioning football team, but I can't, like, w- without casting too much um, shade on Salford, like normally with players, with, no- with lots of clubs you can like look on their forum or on Twitter, but their forum is, is basically dead and there aren't that many fans on Twitter talking about stuff. So um, I just don't know where he is. I, I assume he's injured, but I can't find any mention of him being injured anywhere.
0: Can I tell you something amazing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is so perfect after what you've just said about finding out information about Salford City players. Uh, I found a tweet from the 6th of August from at Sulford And it's an Argentinian fan account of Salford. Incredible. And it says... Desde la página oficial del club confirmaron la lesión y a la vez operación de Elliot Watt. No dieron un parte médico, por lo que se parece que estará varias semanas afueras de las canchas. You know what that means, don't you, son?
1: Operation, I heard.
0: It's an injury. It's an operation. They did not give a medical report, so it seems that he will be out of the fields for several weeks.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Ah, so there you go. Hopefully OK, well, well that
1: that that explains it and i think that goes some way to explaining why Salford are, are, are having a poor start to the campaign. Um you know the, the, i was looking through the team yesterday and it's still so good. Like it'd be a, a, a big surprise if they don't manage to to turn it around and, and improve. And we saw against Tranmere that there is still a side there that can create but yeah i mean at nil at nil um this season Salford have been just really really worryingly uh, bad and i can't quite you know I can. I mean, what, what's absence will be an issue. But, you know, as you say, Accrington have started the season far better than I think we anticipated they would. So, uh, maybe it is a case that Accrington are a good side that we need to, um, re, uh, rate in terms of our pre season perceptions of them. Um, they go to Notts County on Saturday, which will be a good measure of where they are.
0: Andrew is up front for Accrington. Um, provided an answer to the question how do you turn a 0.45 xg chance into a 0.98 xg chance um you smash your shot against the goalkeeper then it hits you goes past the goalkeeper runs towards the goal line and then you smash it in like one <laughs> yard out um yeah. newport three Sutton one was a uh, good fun uh even before omari patrick stuck Sutton ahead just after halftime i think it was a a, a good open game both teams having a decent go uh, Newport did not enjoy going 1-0 down but did come roaring back and uh, you know m- more kind of things to to tick off at the start of this impressive Newport season was uh, responding really well to going behind against a team that you know is generally a pretty tough opponent uh, the quality of the crossing sort stood out for me Adam Lewis's cross from the left was so damn tasty that Joe Kizzy couldn't resist taking a bite uh, and Meeting it with a diving header into his own net. Um, Shane McLaughlin and Seb Palmer Holden's crosses for Charles Lee and Evans weren't bad either. And uh, Evans now has seven goals in six games in all comps. Feels like there's quite a lot of goals being scored individually. Like Jake Young has hmm. seven and three assists. Um, Evans has seven and six in all comps. Obviously, in the championship, John, Johnny Rowe, five and five. I think there were John terrible. Rowe. There have already been maybe three or four hat tricks in League One alone. Um, it's, it's, cool. It's fun. Um, and yeah, Newport fans, well, we certainly did. I think Newport fans as well headed into the season feeling a little ner- No need to really. They're, they're playing really well with a clear identity, a clear, clear way of, of, of playing and attacking. And, and so far the opposition teams are struggling to, to kind of find an answer. Harrogate beat Morecambe 2-0. Uh, it was a penalty scored by Luke Armstrong. Armstrong? Armstrong, Armstrong, um, smashed in by the the strong leg of Armstrong. Um. <laughs> And we spoke about a sumptuous Morecambe free-kick last week. This was even better against them. Uh, George Thompson going up and over and curling away from the keeper's outstretched arm into the top corner from range. A real treat. There's a great reverse angle of that you can find on on Twitter. Uh, Just a comfortable win, really, for Harrogate, Um, you know, scoring two goals from from dead ball situations.
1: I was going to say, did you know they haven't scored a goal from open play yet this season?
0: I do now. I do now. Hmm. Uh, some concerns for me that Morecambe's issues away from home in, from last season may have bled into this campaign because they got, um, thoroughly dispatched by Knotts, uh, and now beaten by Harrogate without mustering up a great fight, uh, something to, to look out for. Uh, Bradford crew, uh, 1-0 win for, for Bradford. They've, they've lost, well, they haven't won, rather, in their three away games this season, which is where they were quite good last season. And at home, where I never thought they were as strong as they should be last season, George, they've won both. So,
1: yeah, another kind of unconvincing game, but a big win, um, for Bradford. I think it's pretty similar to um the what we said earlier with Gary Rower and uh, the Melbourne went at home to Stoke where they kind of did the, the bare minimum needed to win. Um Jamie Walker scored the goal. Um but it was fairly unconvincing uh in, within the actual game itself. Um they they were the better side, they they you know, they had um, the better chances in the second half to make it 2-0, but it was still quite a long way off the performance level we saw last season from Mark Hughes' side. Um, so it, it might be the kind of result and, and maybe not performance, but the kind of result that might give a little bit of a, a platform, um, to improve, uh, having, you know, not won since the second day in the season at home to Colchester, but their two wins a season have come in home games against Crewe and Colchester, who are two of the, the relegation favourites for the upcoming campaign. They go to Mansfield on Saturday and, um, yeah, I fear for them a little bit there, but we'll we'll see how they get on. But, but certainly a side who haven't started the season great, but but this is a a good win that might set them back on the path that they um you know that they certainly want to be on in terms of getting towards the the playoff places at the very least. Not beat
0: Tranmere two nil. Uh, Didzy McGoldrick firing them ahead with their first shot of the game after twelve minutes. Really nice take there. He also hit the bar and the post in this game as well. They went 2-0 up after 65 minutes and really did look highly comfortable at that point. Uh, and then in the last 10, Tramir had a go. couple of shots. Josh Hawkes pulling one back on 88. Uh, after that, Knott's kind of woke up a little bit, had a flurry of shots of their own without scoring. And Connor Jennings had a chance in injury time, but not saw that one out for a, a fairly comfortable win and, and really have put that opening day defeat at Sutton behind them. Wimbledon drew one with Forrest Green, uh Jimmy Ball with a flicked header from a set piece. And then Forrest Green's equaliser credited to Troy Deeney and very much claimed by Troy Deeney. Did, did you have a particularly strong view on this one? Because I watched it upwards of five times and the ball sort of pops up in the air. Four players go for it, including Omatoy and Deeney and two Wimbledon defenders. It bounces off someone and goes in. Uh, to me, it I, looks more likely to be on the toys goal.
1: I live, I agreed and then I watched it back and I do think you can kind of see him like it almost, I think kind of falls in off his face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll give it to him. He, he, and, you know, by all accounts, he looked very lively when he came on. Um, Wimbledon put in another very good performance. Like they are, they know what they, you know, they, they know their, um, it feels like a basically a side who know their job very well. Like all players are very aware of, of, of their role within the side. Um, and, um, there'll be frustration that they weren't able to get over the line at home having gone one nil up. But, but either way, it was a, um, you know, a, a decent performance again from Johnny Jackson's side. But a, a big point I would say for, for David Horseman is Green Greenside and good for Troy Dini to get off the mark for his new club.
0: Absolutely. Um, to be honest, Troy Deeney can claim whichever goals he wants given that he provided. Uh, what I consider to be the iconic EFL goal. Uh, Grimsby won, Walsall won, Aboisa. Issa. Uh, what a goal. Uh, how, what's he, what's he doing? How does he? He's, why, he did score another one as well. Why can he do this, but no one else can do this? This being score absolute rockets from 30 yards, three league games in a row. Um, it's. Seriously fun. It's probably paper, papering over some cracks in Grimsby's attack yep. right now. Um, they, 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 they were given another lead by Aboisa and didn't hold on to it again. Um, Sturk stuck it, it, in uh, Walsall's equaliser. Uh, and then Barrow-Wrexham 1-1 as well. Uh, again, Wrexham looking strong for periods of this game. They started strongly, but they're not quite putting it together for 90 minutes. Barrow came back into it in the second half. Um, nice assist from Kean Spence into a nice finish from Emile Aqua players that they signed from from the National League Pete Wild doing well in in that pond and uh, Telford came on for his debut towards the end and we look forward to seeing hopefully him find a role in this team that could be more uh, representative of his role or re- reflection of his role at Newport when he was so good playing up front with Courtney Baker-Richardson, uh, more so than, than at Crawley, where they struggled to find the right partner in the right role for him. Um, thanks for, for listening to this recap of a busy weekend. Hope you had a good bank holiday, um, and apologise for for this coming out on a t- Tuesday, but we wanted to enjoy it as well. Uh, thanks to Betfair for their support of this podcast. Goodbye. Go out.